How can we make the world better? By making ourselves better. The Dr. Joe Show explores how you can make positive personal change by using his groundbreaking and highly effective I Am approach to understand who we are and why we do what we do. Your small changes can have big effects. Join us now for the Dr. Joe Show with Mark Stiles of Stiles Law, Thomas McCoy, and your host, Dr. Joe Schrand. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Dr. Joe Show. Yes. All right, nice. that was a good one. That was a good one. Really, really good. That was kind. That was human. Could you put your head down a little bit? Wow. And that was strong. It was great. For those of you who were here last week, you remember that at the last 10 minutes of the show, Kelly Miller came on and sort of gave us a preview of what we're going to talk about this week, which is about attention deficit. For those of you, obviously, who were paying attention. Okay, is that number one? Because we, we get a certain number of attention deficit sort of jokes. Is that right? No, it's unlimited. Diamonds. Look, we, well, we can talk about that when we hit our first joke, all right? Okay, fine. So, Kelly, welcome back. Good to have you here. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It is great. And you're coming, you're calling all the way in from L.A., right? Mm-hmm. All the way in from my home studio here. Home studio. And it, <laughs> and it is great. And now, you're also doing... Uh, therapy right yes so i have a practice and i also facilitate drug and alcohol rehab groups you know i'm not sure did i know that part i'm not sure i don't think i knew that so tell me about the drug and alcohol rehab groups so it's all via zoom now as well but yeah i facilitate a process group a writing group for those struggling with addictions and also recently an anger management group as well for teens so kind of throwing in everything. Why not? That's so great. So what are you finding with, with uh, online therapy? Any difference? I find it harder for me personally. I miss the energy. I miss that one-on-one. I mean, it's the next best thing. I'm so grateful that we can at least conduct it this way. But I do miss, there's something about the presence of being with somebody else. And also, you miss a lot of that nonverbal communication uh, via Zoom, in my opinion. Um, so I kind of feel like I have to work a little bit harder to kind of gauge how they're doing. Mm. Do you feel the same? I mean, do you find it harder as well? Um, it's it's a really interesting experience, in part because, you know, I, I love doing TV work. So in some, in some ways, it's sort of bringing a lot of this stuff all together. Um, I think for some folks, um, it was initially a challenge, but now they realize just how convenient it is yeah. you know the convenience of it i mean the demand we were placing on patients to come into the office and sit there and tell us what was going on i've been doing telepsychiatry for a long time actually you know it was one of the people who was trying to get it going because it is a unique experience for the therapist to actually be in someone's home in that way mm. where they get to show me instead of just telling me. Mm. Uh, so, so I think it's great. And then for some of my folks, um, they were talking about this before. So I work with some folks who have profound developmental challenges and this was interesting for them because 
some of them, it was like, one of them said, is, is that you in there, Dr. Schrand? Trying to figure out, you know, what was going on. Another one was so freaked out. It took a couple of sessions for him to sort of get used to it. But some of them just, they just smile the whole time because they're on television. Mm. And they just, they just love just it's they're just so animated so you know it's really interesting for, for a lot of different people but um but in general i must admit i think that uh telepsychiatry and telehealth in general allows us to reach people who were so geographically isolated mm -hmm. uh, that they didn't have access it was a real barrier to not have access and now they do so I mean, theoretically, I, I, you know, you could be treating folks here in Massachusetts, Kelly. Right. I, I agree with you on that point. Um, but I also feel on the other hand, too, is that I think it forced people to get out a little bit. And I worry that sometimes it's keeping people closed in a little bit, too. So that's, I can see both sides. Yeah, that's a good point. With, with the substance use folks, um, are you finding increased rates of relapse or? Absolutely. I think wine sales went up 800%, they said. Oh. <laughs> so absolutely, for sure. People are bored, they don't feel purposeful. Um, it's it's just so hard. And then they're missing their outlets that they used to be able to do, even AA meetings and things, you know, I mean, it's just different via Zoom. So I think that that plays a big part. Yeah, yeah. I, I would like to think that America recognizes though that the mental health and substance use issues are not these weird things. But hmm. how many people out there who are listening right now are feeling a little more isolated, a little sad, maybe a little anxious, maybe a little angry? Um, that's part of who we are as human beings, but there's a spectrum. Everybody gets sad, not everybody gets depressed. But just because you're depressed doesn't mean that there's something wrong. That's what the whole I am approach is about, is to say there, there is no sickness, there's no pathology. We're just doing the best we can at every moment in time with the potential to change. And that includes attention deficit, you know, not attention deficit disorder, because as soon as we use the word disorder, we separate people into groups, but attention deficit, we all get distracted. Some kids get distracted more than others. So with that in mind, mm -hmm. tell us first a little bit about your book. How's your book doing? Tell yeah. folks about what the book is, where they can get it, and then we'll- Oh, thank you. It. Sure, it's called Thriving with ADHD, and it's a workbook for kids seven to 12. And it's doing pretty well, I'm happy. I think also it, it provides a program for kids right now who are who need homeschooling as well and then different organizational techniques uh, that help parents. Um, but yeah, I mean, the reason that I really am happy to write it is that I want these kids to feel empowered and kind of what you were saying. I don't want them to feel like they have a deficit, but rather that, um, you know, that they, they're passionate, they're excitable, and there's just different ways you can reframe it. There's something wrong with them. It's just they're wired a little bit differently. And so here's how to get around it. And I might have said this on your show last time, but I mean, the best way that I describe it is that 
I'm directionally challenged. I'm horrible. I'm like an infant. All I know is turn right a hundred feet. Like that's all I know. And so I have to take pictures of my, my parking spots. And I always say, and so I've just learned to adapt that when I go into a parking lot, I'm like, okay, remember where I parked, take a picture. And it's the same things with kids who struggle with ADHD. It's like, okay. You know, my older son said to me one time, mom, I have to set a timer in the shower. Cause I know that I will go way over so he's just learned okay i need that reminder that after 10 minutes oh okay there's that beep that reminds me it's time to get out so you learn learn the skills to adapt and that's great and that, you know that's a small change it can have a big effect so that's brilliant so how do you think he came up with that that he came up on his own. I was I was actually impressed. I think he realized after maybe 30, 40 minutes when he's turning into a prune, he's like, all right, this isn't working so well. Um, but no, I mean, I've always been really open. Both my boys have ADHD. So I've always been really open about there's nothing wrong. We just need to figure out ways for this to work. Um, and so I think they just learned over time. Okay, I need to figure out strategies. And very often it runs in families. So any relatives who also remind it's really funny because i i'm wondering if i (laughs) if i have it it's it's possible but i I think there is definitely in the bloodline um my dad might be listening now but i I think there might be a little bit of you know he's constantly losing his keys if you saw his uh, desk at work um it is a sign of intelligence as he may say but uh everything's everywhere um but i i really believe that people with adhd are extremely bright um, and it doesn't, you know, just very bright and passionate and creative, just a lot of amazing thoughts. So, but yeah, I, I do think there is some genetic components there. Yeah, there is. But, but I agree with you. Some of the brightest kids that I've met uh, have ADD. And I mean, honestly, some of my family members have ADD as well. How many parents are at home right now saying, wow. I didn't really understand what the teacher meant, but man, oh man, I guess my kid has ADHD. Yeah. The the struggle is real. (laughs) I mean, even for kids with with neurotypical um, behaviors, I think it's really hard. But I mean, I think parents weren't really meant to be teachers, so you have that, that piece as well, but yes, I mean, and that, and, and over Zoom, I mean, it, it's hard for adults. So I can't even imagine how kids sustain that attention. They need that interaction. It's it's very tough. So, what tips can you give us, Kelly? Where, sure. where do we start? Absolutely. I think the first thing is they need lots of breaks. Kids with ADHD, you just need lots of breaks. You, I mean, I always say I'd rather have more breaks. Um, you know, even if it's every ten minutes or so, just because I think that's a good refresher. And breaks include getting up, walking around, not staring at the screen. Um, I think the big thing that has helped my children personally is the blue light glasses, um, because there's a lot of fatigue looking at that screen for so long. So that's something else that I've noticed that would be really helpful so they're not straining their eyes so much and being in pain. Um, Change of scenery. So even if you could do your online classes outside for a little bit, um, just to kind of feel like you're getting a little bit of a difference where you won't be too distracted. But, you know, even if you're, if you have a porch or you can kind of sit in the backyard or something to, to get a little bit of that, I don't know, essence of something new. Um, 
if you feel comfortable, I am a big proponent of the pod program where kids, if they are safe and tested and parents are okay with it, where they can each do their own Zooms, but with other kids. Um, I actually have my younger son in that, and that's been very helpful because then they can kind of follow along and see what the other kids are doing. Sometimes it's, you feel very isolated and alone and especially if parents are working. And so this provides that environment of, okay, you know, he or she's working. Okay, I'll do that. So I think that that's very helpful too. So it's, it's I, I'm not familiar with that. The pod mm -hmm. program? A pandemic so they, pod, right? Yeah, so they just call it like pod program. So either you can organize it with other parents where kids come together and everybody is on Zoom in there, but they're all sort of together or facilities do it. Um, so it's essentially school, so to speak, but at least you are with other kids and there's some socialization. So I think that, that helps. So, so micro school. Yeah. So is that, that's part of what you're doing, right, Mark? It, it is, it is. We're doing something very similar to that, Kelly, for my employees. We've created a, a school within our building so that when they're on their remote days, we have tutors with them and mm. trying to keep it energetic and because there are some children with ADHD and I believe I have it, I get it. It's actually mm -hmm. kind of fun trying to figure out different strategies to help them learn knowing mm -hmm. there were certain ways that I didn't learn. And I knew that this isn't going to work with someone who learns similarly to me. So we've been trying to bring in different enrichment type of things as well as like you say bring in a lot of breaks give them the walking time let the let the learning come to them instead of it being forced upon them and let them reach out and and kind of show us what they want to be learning and how they want to be learning it's been fun it. it's been yeah. experimental and dr joe you kind of touched on this earlier but i don't think schools are going to look anything like they did pre-covid going forward scare me you guys are scary really oh no yeah wow. no i think so because because i think we're we're recognizing that we can we can educate kids without asking them to have to get up at seven o'clock in the morning which is completely unnatural for the vast majority of kids mm -hmm. uh, and have to sort of navigate their way to school and then be expected to concentrate and learn for blocks and blocks of time and then switch to another subject. So Why does that scare you? What about all the working parents? I don't know. I find it really hard to balance. Um, yeah, that's what scares me is that I think it's really hard to do both, be sort of this parent and monitoring your kid, especially those with ADHD, where you, you really need to give them that extra attention um, and then do your separate jobs. But we're talking about when it comes out of COVID. So once we're beyond COVID, the way to educate children, I think we'll have seen some variations that people are going to want to adopt and want to eliminate certain things that we do because that's the way we've always done it. Well, why do we do that? Because that's the way we've always done it. And I think a lot of that's going to be eliminated and replaced with some of this new innovation and new adaptation that they've had. I don't mean everyone's going to be homeschooling with their kids. You just but I think schedules yeah. are going to be a little bit more fluid and, you know, the, the actual activities are going to be very different 
because parents are actually more fluid now too and they're able to work remotely and from different locations and such i think there's been a lot of really negative things obviously with covid but i think there's been a lot of really positive things that are coming out of this and i think one of them is ultimately going to be how we educate our kids here in the united states yeah um how how do you balance being home having to work having kids there you know how i talked about before the 800 percent increase in wine sales <laughs> <laughs> Um, no, it's, it's, it's really hard. Um, I mean, you know, now I think my kids have gotten a little more used to it. I bought a, a do not disturb sign for my door that kind of slides. <laughs> so my kids know like when that red side's on, you know, do not enter, but it's hard because uh, as you know, you know, as a therapist, you, I, I have 50 minutes where, you know, I need to be focused and a couple times my kids have busted down the door. It's really funny, but, um, <laughs> No, I mean, I think that you do the best you can, you know, and thank God everybody really understands that. So my patients understand when they see my kids waddle in, they're like, oh yeah, you know, I mean, they get it. Everybody kind of understands, but you know, I think it's, it's the balance of some days I'm going to have to give to my kids more and some days I'm going to have to give to my work more. It's not going to look perfectly equal. Um, and I've just accepted that. Mark, you, are you having similar sort of struggles at home? We're doing the best we can, Dr. Joe. Everyone's cool. doing the best we can. Everyone's cool. drinking from the same fire hose, trying to figure it out, try, you know, and trying to stay positive, really, ultimately, is what I think everybody's trying to do. But, you know, I mean, I feel blessed, Dr. Joe. I have the ability to create this structure to help my wife, right? Because, again, part of the purpose was last spring it was it was challenging really challenging on a lot of people and when you know we thought okay it's going to be three weeks you know three months okay summer okay wait you know are we going to be in this ultra marathon like how are we going to make it so that we all maintain a level of sanity and you know we were able to do this i you know there's a lot of families that aren't able to participate in these micro schools and these pandemic pods or these employer benefit programs and, you know, really, really having a difficult time with it. I'm having a little bit of a difficult time with it, but there are people who are having a tremendously, tremendously difficult time with this. Yeah, it's really fascinating how we have learn to depend on other people to care for our children yeah you know which which we have to do because you also have to pay the rent i mean you know i mean the, the demands are, are amazing i'd like to think that some kids are having deeper insights into what their parents really do as well mm -hmm. you know and, and the responsibilities that their parents have because you know there's the bring your kid to work day sort of thing but now it's we're all in the same home and we're right. all working and how do we negotiate that how do we work together as a team and recognize that we are all contributing we're always contributing to our families if we want to i've seen a lot of parents um who have the same initial worry how am i meant to do this uh, this one person said you know i, I have to relearn math 
Mm. And how am I meant? How am I meant to teach my kid math? That's that's a whole nother area, though. How often did you get to actually see what your kid was learning in the interaction in the school? Probably very little. But now we get to see it. When you when your kids are doing school. Uh, is is it a Zoom thing? So so there are a whole bunch of other kids on the screen as well, right? And the teachers are smart; they mute them because they know it's the teachers are smart; they mute them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and how has that been for the kids? Seeing their friends, mm -hmm. but not really being able to to chat. I think hard, really hard. And so I was going to add, when you were asking me the tips of things to help, I think that we really need to validate our kids' feelings, that this is hard. And, and we understand that. And yeah, you must really miss seeing your friends because you know there's a piece of their life that's missing. So I think that's a big part of it too, of knowing, and then also reminding them that this isn't forever. You know, because in a kid's mind, I mean, for us, it feels like even forever, but in a kid's mind, it's even like, you know, so it's just reminding, you know, that this is, this is a moment, you know, and, and it's going to pass. And I always have to remind my younger son that, because I think he's really struggling with that of like, you know what, this is just for now. And, you know, and he's how old? He's, he's eight. He's eight. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and that that makes so much sense developmentally because little kids are all about here and now. It's very difficult for them to sort of begin really abstracting about the future and what will happen next. Tom, do we have a, a question that's come in? Yes, we do. We have a past guest, Tyson Sonnenberg, asks, does the nonstop instant gratification cause children to never learn patience and not be able to keep their attention span? Mm. And I thought about this myself with um, my sister-in-law's nieces, so uh, my daughters, <laughs> they are used to Netflix. They've never had to sit through TV ads. They're very small. So what their mom does, they'll pause artificially. They'll make a, an arbitrarily enforced commercial break just so that they learn a bit of patience. Hmm. Wow, so funny. What a strange time to be alive, huh, guys? The problem here is, is the technology creating ADHD? Mm. No. Not no, really. no, I, 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 I can, I can tell you why, but no. The, the tell me why, because I watch Social Dilemma and it feels like it's possible. All right. So here's, here's why. Attention deficit has been around long before television. Um, it is part of uh, our social makeup. So at some point, remember, there's this thing called, you know, evolution and natural selection and the I am approach. It, and I think we've been through this before about about 5% or so people have ADD. Right? That's one in 20. And when we were forming small social groups, when we were first beginning this evolution, um, the groups were about 20 people. And it paid to have a scanner. It paid to have somebody who would look around and go, oh, what's that, what's that, what's that, what's that? It was protective. So in a savanna situation, jungle situation, predatory situation it's great doesn't quite work in school but that kid that still is well oh, that's interesting that's interesting that's interesting it's it's part of who we are we all get distracted but some kids get even more distracted than others but there's an adaptive component to it these kids are also incredible observers 
You know, I mean, they're, they're, they're looking at things and noticing things that other people may not always notice. So to answer the question, I'm interested in what you think, Kelly, but mm -hmm. um, delayed gratification is something that happens early on. There's the famous marshmallow test. Oh, yeah. The marshmallow test. Mm -hmm. right? You show little kids a marshmallow. You say you can eat this now, or if you can wait, you can have two marshmallows. And then you see what they do. And there's actually longitudinal studies on this, which is fascinating mm -hmm. to show really the developmental process, what happens with the kids who can't wait and the kids who can. The other part about delayed gratification is this is what the core component of substance use is as well. Mm -hmm. The brain becomes trained to have immediate gratification. So I know we're not necessarily talking about substance use, but in terms of working with folks in early stages of recovery, it is really important to set these goals that they can achieve almost instantaneously and then feel some sense of reward. You don't want to have a long-term goal for folk like that because the immediate gratification brain is still very, very, very powerful. So they've got to they've got to say, okay, yeah, I did that, and they get an oxytocin rush instead of a dopamine rush. But what do you think, Kelly? Are our kids with having more difficulty learning delayed gratification? I, I do think so. I agree with you. I think it's biological, but yes, I, I think that the instant everything on the computer, I mean Amazon, they get a package, and you know everything comes very quickly. So I think it exacerbates it. But I think I love what you said, Tom, about how you're forcing those courses. And I did the same thing with my kids as far as I, I signed them up for um, this organization called Africa Vision of Hope. And we would write letters to the kids because I wanted them to have that anticipation of like, oh, is the letter going to come? And, you know, instead of instantly. So I, I we got to teach our kids those lessons to sort of slow down and then remind them, too, of it's not always like this, yeah. um, that type of thing. So, so what else can we help parents with who are there at home with their ADD kids and, and for our older ADD kids as well, who yes. whose parents maybe working. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, a couple other tips that I hadn't gotten to yet was I'm a huge proponent of snacks for kids during these times, especially protein. Um, that makes a big difference. Um, so if you can kind of, and I'm a Jewish mom, so I'm always force feeding, but you know, this kind of, uh, you know, giving a little bit of, of those because you want to keep that blood sugar level. And so that does help. So a kid who's going to start off, you know, with a sugar crash or just kind of not, you know, hungry, he's not gonna be able to focus. So I do think that having really high protein snacks is gonna make a big difference as well. Okay, um, so that's another good tip. Mm -hmm. And then also, if you can, and, and the nice thing about the Zooms is at least where in my area, it's starting a little bit later. So if you can get those kids to exercise with you in the morning, that's would be great. Cause then they're, you know, they're getting out a lot of that energy before they have to sit and and really focus so if you can take a bike ride in the morning or just a morning walk or something before that zoom to get out a little bit of that energy i think will help them sustain uh, just that straight watching for a while hmm. 
So the the book that you wrote was pre-COVID. Yes. But you can take those tips from the book because the, the book is an incredible book, you know, with all these different structures and things for kids. How, how could folks adapt some of the things from the book? Sure. So, yeah, it is funny. Pre-COVID feels like so long ago. Um, <laughs> it's just so funny. Um, I, you know, one of the things I think with kids, too, is just finding out what works best for them organization-wise, right? So we have all these ideas in our mind, but it's also asking your kid, well, what, what helps you? Um, you know, do colorful folders help you? What will help you remember that kind of thing? And so I think that helps too. Um, I mean, I just asked my older son the other day, I mean, his room, <laughs> it's like a bomb hit it. So I'm like trying to like help him. But again, it's like, I go in, okay, this is how I would want to do it. And I'm thinking, but that's not gonna work for him. He's not gonna remember. So I said, what will help you? You know, if we put your items in a basket or if we put it in your desk. So really finding out what organization is gonna help them remember the best. And so, you know, color coding, tabbing, whatever is, is gonna work for them. Also, I think it's a huge help to find out what kind of learner your child is. Are they visual? Um, do they learn best by hearing? Uh, are they tactile? Um, and I think that makes a big difference too. So, you know, reviewing information, uh, you know, helping your kids, are they, are you, is flashcards gonna help? Are they visual? Or do you want them to hear the, you know, some, a lecture or YouTube or something to hear? Or, you know, sometimes I would even like throw a ball with my son while, because he's more tactile, while giving facts and stuff because he's he's doing something at the same time. And also realizing a lot of kids who fidget, you know, we're sort of taught of like, no, 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 pay attention, focus. But fidgeting helps a lot of kids. So, you know, really realizing, okay, let, let them fidget what can help them giving them those squish balls and you know the, the seat cushions and things there's even like those bands i think um for chairs so they can kind of you know and that helps them learn especially during zoom they may need that to feel like okay they're engaging it's the tactile spoonful of sugar <laughs> it really is it, it opens you up so that you're, you're not concentrating on trying to do the, like you know with kids uh, do their stimming right do that replacement behavior so that they can pay attention right and you know what it's it's i think easier now because they're not distracting potentially other kids in school and i think that that's one of the things that, that is hardest for the teachers is you know you know that this one kid needs to do the fidgeting and they can immediately tell you what the teacher is talking about when they're fidgeting is as if i mean it does help them concentrate but it may be distracting the other kid without ADD. And I think that that is now off the table because you're at home, you can do what you want. You're not even, you know, right. not even seen on, on the camera. It's just, you know, from your neck up. So this is a really, really good strategy for folks. You know, if you got ADD and you need to have like a stress ball or something to play with, do it, right. do it. And parents need to know that doesn't mean that their kid isn't paying attention. It actually means maybe they're paying attention more because this motoric thing, the motor part, is being satisfied, which means the other part of their brain can, can focus in and concentrate. So that's- Kelly, when do you recommend medication for kids? Oh gosh, that's definitely a, a question better suited for Dr. Joe. But I mean, I think for me personally, I think it's when, um, 
I think it affects your kid's self-esteem to me personally, like when they're saying I'm struggling, I'm having problems. Um, so that's sort of where, where I am as a mom, you know, where, you know, I, I actually haven't medicated my kids. So, um, I'm kind of waiting where, you know, it's really interfering with their self-worth and also where they really are struggling so much in their environment. So I'm really all about, you know, my book also states just really kind of finding the behavioral strategies in the meantime, right? Getting them enough resources. Um, so I really set it up uh, strongly for my kids to have as much resources as they can to help them to get by. Do you, do you have a thought about it, Mark? Do I have a thought about it? I think that's no. a great point that it's when it starts to affect them as opposed to the parents, right? So the kids, oh my God, I can't take this anymore. Let's medicate him versus he's super happy. He's doing wonderfully. Can we do this versus that kid who's going to the school and he can't get organized and he, it's just disheveled and he comes home crying. Right. Yeah, it really is. If remember, I, I like to say a good grade is better than Prozac. You know, so for for kids who are doing well in school, they don't need to come usually to see a child psychiatrist. They, they really don't. If their self esteem is intact, when that begins to slip, I agree with Kelly. What it really means is that they care that they do well in school, and they care that they feel accomplished their ic domain that other people see them a certain way and that's a great thing and that you really really do need to help a kid understand that sometimes medication is just a small change in the biological domain it doesn't define you as sick or broken it's just a small change and these small changes can have big effects our parents you know blame themselves very often for stuff that's going on with their kids, not a good enough parent. But the I am is saying, we're all doing the best we can. Let's look again at why we do what we do. And when you can look at it that way, you can really look, I think, a lot more honestly, because you're not going to feel that you're judged and that you're, you know, broken and you're going to get blamed. So, so Kelly, how can we validate parents and, and help them through this remarkable time of COVID? So first of all, knowing that it really is hard, <laughs> it's it's really tough. And I think even just saying that out loud and like, you know, for them to hear it and know they're not alone. And I'm a big proponent of humor. Um, I, I just, I think we need to get through it with humor. So I love the funny memes and the different things. And so I think also just having that support from other parents is so important. And obviously we can't see each other as much, but even, via text or FaceTime or what I do with my girlfriends is we just sit in the driveway six feet apart. But I think it's so important that parents take care of themselves during this time. Um, and, and the outlets are smaller, but we need to be creative in figuring out those tools that will nourish us. Because again, if we don't put on our oxygen mask, our kids, we just, we need to take care of ourselves, especially during this really stressful time in order to, to help our kids. And I think parents need permission to do that for some weird reason. To somehow feel like, well, how can I take care of my kid if I'm spending time taking care of myself? Right. It's the opposite. You cannot really take care of somebody else unless you're there to take care of them. 
Mm-hmm. And you have to take care of yourself to do that. Right. You have to take care of others. It sounds counterintuitive and it sounds selfish, but it's really not at all. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got to be able to look after yourself because if nothing else, you're modeling that for your kids. I was just going to say right? that. I was going to yeah. say the exact same thing. Yeah. From your kids' perspective, who would they rather be dealing with? Which version would they rather be dealing with? Sure. Right. And, and I'm not saying that taking care of yourself means, you know, you're contributing to the 800% increase in wine sales. <laughs> right. I mean, but but you got to be able to to step back and say, you know, in order for me to to really look after you, I I, I just got to look after me. It's still an I am. Exactly. You know? I also love meditation. Um, I've been a meditator since 2007, hmm. and I think I, it's just I, it's made a world of difference for me to kind of keep even um, during all the all of this. So even if Parents can take, you know, five, 10 minutes and they have those great apps now, Headspace, Calm, all of them. And some of them I think are even free during this time. Oh, yeah. Any ASMR channel on uh, YouTube. Yep. And so even if you can take five, 10 minutes, because it's just a, such a beautiful way to start your day where you've already taken care of you. So your cup's already full, right? And then you can give to your kids. So I think that would help too. So how does a kid with attention deficit find the discipline to meditate. Oh, well, I was talking about for parents, but for I know, kids. I know, but but I'm yeah. wondering, is there a way that must be a way also for to get kids to do that? Because that actually is a way to train that brain to move mm-hmm. away from that sort of immediate gratification and be more focused and more and aware. It's a, and it's a re a reoccurring theme in your in your thriving with ADD. I know or ADHD. I noticed also there's a reoccurring theme of the meditation and the mind. Mm-hmm. mind and body connection so I, how do you do that yeah i think finding what works for them what they're interested in with regards to meditation and the beautiful thing about it is there's so many different types so you could do a walking meditation where kids can sort of touch the leaves and listen to what the sound makes on the rocks um, which is very meditative um, you know some kids are better with structure so if they have that guided meditation that might work for them Others may be excited about getting a mantra that they get to pick and they can be creative and what's your mantra that you're going to say over and over. So I think, again, it's going to be very child dependent, but um, I think you get creative with it and you try different things. And then again, reminding them it's trial and error. Hey, this, you might not like this technique. Let's try this one. Or, and knowing that, hey, there's not going to be this huge payoff immediately, but you may see it over time. And then again, the modeling. I mean, my kids know, you know, that I'm meditating. So I'm hoping that at some point through osmosis, they're like, oh, that's a great idea. It hasn't happened quite yet. But but modeling that for them, I think is important. So how did you get into meditating? It's a long time that you've been doing it. I know. I, I uh, A friend of mine suggested it. And I kind of blew it off. And I was like, ah, I'm good. I'm good. And then six months later, he mentioned it again to me. And I'm a, I'm a big believer. If you, if you hear something a couple times, you know, it's, it's almost like messages that from above that you might need to listen to. So um, I found it's, it's similar to TM, Transcendental Meditation, um, and it's called Vedic Meditation here in LA that, that I went through. But they give you a mantra and they teach you how to meditate because I think it's so kind of overwhelming that this was a very structured program for five days where I got my own mantra. They, they teach you it's twice a day. And so 
Um, and now it just becomes habit. It's like brushing your teeth. And, and I notice more, of course, when I don't do it, um, than when I do it, it's like, oh, kind of becoming irritable. Oh, oh yeah, I haven't meditated. So, um, and you do it imperfectly. You do the best you can. Like I said, I mean, even a few minutes, um, if that's what your schedule allows, it's better than nothing. And again, it's, it's just really that idea that you're nourishing yourself and you're giving to yourself. You know, it, it, unfortunately, I don't know how I retrieved this, but it reminds me of the Buddhist monk uh, who went to the dentist for a filling and said, do not give me any mm. anesthesia because he wanted to transcend dental medication. Sorry. Dental? You get it? Uh, oh. <laughs> well, no, I was thinking when you told that story, there was a guy who um, apparently was on fire and they asked him afterward how he survived that. And he said he was a longtime meditator and it helped him. Wow. Yeah. So that's what I thought. I thought you were going in that direction. No, no, it was a bad joke. Transcendent. <laughs> no, it went in the way other direction. Yeah, it really did. Way. <laughs> it, it was the. But that's it was the, the tempo with which you said it. Thank you. It, it's the humor. Yeah, it's very serious. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. So, yeah. what are some of the strategies for meditation for a, a child with ADHD that could quickly kind of get them rolling with it? Yeah. So I think I think maybe describing the benefits of, hey, you know, I know sometimes you probably feel really overwhelmed. Would you want to learn a technique where maybe it would calm you? Um, so sort of get them interested. And then again, finding out which one of those is going to be interesting to them. You know, what excites you? Would you want to take a walking meditation? Do you want to hear things? Do you want to see things? You know, really getting them involved in the process, I think would help, um, you know, giving it a try of like, hey, let's just try this, kind of making it fun, maybe even making some rewards out of it. Let's try it for a week. And then maybe, you know, if we do it for a week, what kind of reward do we want to do? Might might excite them for that. Hmm. What do you think, Mark? Didn't you do... Didn't you do a meditation on one of the Dr. Joe shows? So that's what I thought you were getting at before you went to the Buddhist monk. But Wait, uh, yes, there was a, I think the woman's name was Kelly, actually, um, <laughs> came into the studio when Dr. Joe was on his trip to uh, the other side of the world. And one of the uh, guests we had was a, um, a, a practicing oh, meditator. Wow. Mm -hmm. The other one, although, Joe, Joe, it's funny, I was talking to uh, somebody today about this one was the, the gentleman who came and talked about, you know, therapy of the outdoors. Yeah. So when you started yeah. talking about touching the leaves, you know, we've, we do, we, we walk in nature quite a bit, Dr. Joe and I strategizing. And sometimes when I meet with business people, rather than having lunch or conference room, it's like, okay, let's meet at a trailhead and let's walk and and uh, strategize that way and it, it it's it is a, a, something very very different but um yes we had a meditator meditation expert come in and and kind of guide me through a meditation and, and dr joe thinks it was one of the funnier moments well, on one of the best shows he means a lello so we, we've got a couple minutes left the im has two rules two truths really the first, small changes can have big effects. You've offered a lot of different tips for folks tonight, many different small changes. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to leave that one aside because folks, you've heard a lot of small changes that you can make. But the second rule, you control no one, you influence everyone. 
Mm. You get to choose the kind of influence you want to be. Kelly Miller, mm. what kind of influence are you hoping to be? Mm, I love this question. I think um, I want to. I want to influence kindness. Um, I want to. I think kindness is contagious. And when back in the day when, when they used to have toll booths, I uh, I would pay for the person behind me. So I think more random acts of of kindness uh, will help, especially during this time when our world is so divided. So I hope to leave that of just just more kindness. Yeah. yeah. You're so right. We all have the same wishes. We just want to feel valued by someone else. And I love that idea of just paying the toll for someone behind you. I used to do that a lot with, with coffee. There was, you know, you could pay for somebody's coffee behind you and then we'd go back the next day and find out that it just cascaded. Mm-hmm. Sometimes 20, 30 times paying for the person behind you. Kelly, thanks so much. Before we go, Ben, I know, Kelly, just tell people your book. How can they get it again, real quick? So much. It's called Thriving with ADHD. It's a workbook for kids. You can find it on Amazon. Great. Thank so Thanks so much, everyone. Thank you. Bye. Thank you, See you next week. Bye.